today at the subject of the anointing of the Holy One. And under that, you'll notice in your bulletin outline, is the idea of being taught the truth. God taught truth. In a world of many antichrists, verse 18, some of which are among the people of God and were known to be teachers of the gospel, how are we to know who to believe when a dispute arises over doctrine? That's a good question for all of us to ask. You can't have two antithetical statements and have them both be truth. That defies logic. It also defies the word of God. If something's true, then an opposite statement can't be true at the same time. One of them has to be false. And that's the point that John is bringing out here. The Antichrist, of whom John wrote, he says, verse 19, went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. Jesus predicted that one of the characteristics of the end days would be a falling away. The, the Greek word is, an, is a word that means apostasy from the faith, not sticking to what they've been known, what they've been taught and what they know. This can only mean people, now listen, people who know something about the faith, right? You can't fall away if you don't know something. So, in some regard, they're able to make statements which sound very much like Christian teaching. But since they are antichrists, we know that the end product cannot be Christian teaching, no matter how good it sounds. I think we have a little bit of that going on with this book called The Shack that is very popular among Christians. Um, it's not of God. You, you say, well, you can't say that. Yes, I can, because it teaches universalism. What does that mean? That everyone's going to be saved. That there is no such thing as hell and destruction, all of which Jesus taught. By the way, did you know that Christ taught more on the subject of hell than he did on heaven? That ought to shock us into reality here. It's like, I'm going to lay my emphasis where people need to see it. And that's what he did. But people are all wrapped up in this new book and the movie that goes with it. Every once in a while, I run into one of these characters, and they are good conversationalists. They can talk your ear off. They can talk theology. But the more they talk, the more it becomes evident that something just isn't ringing true. And you can't quite put your finger on it. But you sense that there's something they are keeping back and not admitting. Perhaps you've had the same reaction. People know how to use God words. And they can turn them on or off on the, as the occasion dictates. And they can do that at will. So this calls for discernment on your part. Discernment on my part. Lest we be snowed by their seeming insight. In John's day, there were a group of these people, and they were called the Gnostics, G-N-O-S-T-I-C-S, -S, from the Greek word gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S, -S, and one of the Greek words for knowledge, and they have a number of words for knowledge. The Gnostics of John's day were expert at this. They put themselves forward as having a higher knowledge, even 
a secret knowledge of things of God superior to the apostles of Jesus, <laughs> of all things. And one might think that this would make John go on the defensive or perhaps begin to worry about his people, but none of this occurred. Instead, we hear John say that despite the presence of many antichrists, verse 18, even with people whom he had fellowship and communication, verse 19, he's confident that these new defectors and now enemies of Christ will not have a lasting impact upon the church because, verse 20, you have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. I tell you what, that's a great verse. He's saying, now I'm just telling you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, you're going to get through this heresy stuff. You're going you're to get through it. You're going to be able to discern right from wrong, correct from incorrect, false from true. You're going to be able to do that because you have an anointing from the Holy One. So, second point in our outline, what is this anointing from the Holy One? Which seems to have a preserving effect upon our souls in the midst of much heresy and wrong teaching. Well, this anointing of the Holy One is none other than the Holy Spirit Himself, whom Jesus promises people as a result of His ascension. Let me read it for you. In John 7, verse 38 and following, also written by the same author. Remember, he wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the book of Revelation. So John 7, 38 and following, Jesus predicted, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive... Up to that point, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So that goes along with what Jesus is saying. You know, as he goes away, the Spirit will come. John 14, verse 16 and following. I will ask the Father, this is Jesus speaking, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you. He will be in you. The Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. So it isn't going to be brand new teaching. It's going to be a reminder of Christ's teaching. He's going to come and support the teachings of Christ. Even that is significant. So he's not anti-Christ, he's pro-Christ. He is Christ's spirit. John 16, notice these are all in John's gospel. John 16, verse 7 and following, Jesus saw that his disciples were saddened by hearing that he was going away to be with the Father. And he said, but I tell you the truth, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go... I will send him to you, 
And when he, the spirit of comes, see, he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. So you see what the Spirit's ministry is. It's to take the teachings of Christ, to remind us of those things that we've been taught from the Word, from the teachings of Christ, and then make them known to us. Let us recall just how powerful and enabling the Spirit of God is as he takes up residence in our lives. He is another counselor, Jesus says. He picks up where Christ left off. We could put it that way. His coming carries with it the commission of both God the Father and God the Son. Jesus repeatedly speaks of him as the spirit of truth. As the one who will teach and remind the disciples of the things Jesus taught. As the one the world cannot and will not receive. And Jesus also said that he will be with us Forever, there's no ascension day for the Spirit. There is no return to the Father for the Spirit. No, He is ours forever. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. This is what John means when he says, You have an anointing of the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. All of you know the truth. So truth is the hallmark of the Spirit. And where he resides, error cannot make easy inroads. So what Jesus has provided for us in the anointing of the Spirit is what the Father provided for Jesus during his earthly ministry. Peter's sermon at Cornelius' house said this, listen. You know what has happened throughout Judea. God has anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And how he went along doing good and healing all those who were under the power of the devil. Because God was with him. Acts 10 verse 37 and following. So this I believe is one reason Jesus repeatedly would say that his teaching was not his own. But the words his father had given him to say. The spirit was his enabler. And this is precisely John's point in our text. God's people are preserved from imbibing error because they have the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon them and they know the truth. The Spirit teaches them the truth. So you, you know this about yourself. You know, if you hear a false teacher or a false prophet or whatever, your little internal antenna goes up. Beep, 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 beep. Mm -mm 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 -mm. And also... You know, like the pinball machine, the light will flash on, tilt. Meaning, uh, what you're hearing isn't true, doesn't sound true, it's not ringing true. How can that happen? Because the spirit within us knows the truth, shows us the truth of Christ. And when our ears hear the sound of error and falsehood, it comes up sour in our spirit immediately and we say that no that's not right that can't be true we're not being arrogant when we say that it's just that the spirit within the holy spirit is teaching us that there are false teachers out there and they have a message too
but the message is not of God, so beware. Now secondly, what are some of the practical reality of the Spirit's anointing? Well, number one, those anointed of the Spirit can discern, here it is, the difference between liars and truth speakers. I want to tell you, we really need discernment in the church in, in our day. Discernment. Verse 22. Who is the liar? John asks the question. Who is the liar? Isn't that always the question which haunts us when we're confronted with two different viewpoints? Well, what's the truth? How do I, you know, how am I going to know this? In the context, verse 22, the issue was over the incarnation of Christ. Was Jesus a physical person living in Palestine? Was he God's son in the flesh? But the issue, uh, I mean, that was the issue here. But the issue could have been any number of other things about God. Who's Jesus? What, what is a man? What is salvation? What is eternal life? What is judgment to come? Whatever. The heretics are out there teaching their thing, not listening to the Bible, not listening to Christ, not being led by the Spirit, but just doing their own thing. The theological subjects are almost endless, and people have an opinion on every one of them. So how are we to know who's telling the truth and who's not? Verse 24. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will remain in the Son and in the Father. And look at verse 30, 23. This is what he has promised us, eternal life. Not just temporal life, but eternal life. Nothing new under the sun, says Solomon. But boy, almost every day we pick up the newspaper, there's some kook out there advocating something new, right? Whatever's been said, has been said before. What's ever been advocated, has been advocated before. However, salvation has been explained by man, has been explained before. There's nothing new under the sun. So how do we stick to the truth? We stick to the truth of the Word of God, the apostolic teaching. These guys that walked and talked with Jesus knew him face to face, ear to ear, and was able to comprehend what he showed them by his spirit. Next verse, see to it that you have heard, see to it that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. Translation, be leery of the novel. Be leery of the new, the latest Fad teaching that comes down the pike. John wrote this at the close of the apostolic ministry. All the gospel accounts of the life of Christ had already been written by this time. All the apostolic teaching of Paul, Peter, had been written. The books of Hebrews, Jude, even Revelation were all complete. John himself had just penned the last books of the Bible. All was in place. And what was in place had been so for many years. Each of the writings of the New Testament authors dovetailed and complemented the writings of the other guy, proving the truth of 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. What? 
all scripture is God-breathed. Yeah, maybe it has human authors, human different guys with their pens and ink writing a thing, but their words, their thoughts are God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, the scripture says. Let me read the rest of it here. Correcting, training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So what is he saying? He's saying there's nothing lacking in the person who is trained in the scriptures. That person has all the resources necessary to be a teacher of others, able to rebuke, able to correct those who walk in a disorderly way, and to train them in righteousness. All this because what we are studying is the God-breathed scripture. By the way, out on the um, foyer is the newest broadcaster book, and it's all on the inspiration of the scripture. They're free. Take them home and read up on it. So John is saying, verse 24, See to it that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. And when he says that, he's not talking about old wives' tales and local folklore and gossip. No, he is referencing the scriptures received and recorded by what Peter identifies as men, I'm reading scripture, who spoke from God, not just for God, you see, but from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter 1 verse 23, the spirit of truth again. The rule of measurement, brethren, for discerning truth from lies is that Bible sitting in your lap. That's the rule book. And every now and then the world will come up with a theory which opposes the biblical account. Years ago it was Brown's book and later the movie by the same name, The Da Vinci Code, in which Brown fictionalized Da Vinci's painting of the Last Supper, saying that the disciples, I'm quoting, the disciples whom Jesus loved was a code name for Mary Magdalene, to whom Jesus was actually married, and who later gave birth to a child. This false, this fable came out of the Gnostic gospel accounts of the third and fourth century, which are full of fictitious sayings of Jesus and alleged happenings of the early Christians. There's the Gospel of Thomas, and there's the Gospel of Mary, and there's the Acrophon of John, alias the secret Gospel of John. The idea of the Gnostic view that they had a secret and higher knowledge of God than anything revealed in the scriptures. So if you really want a kenosis, if you really want to know, come and read our writings and forget what you see there in the book. Sometimes even Christian authors will come up with fiction that people take as fact. I'm not a fan of fiction. I'm too practical for that. Jerry Jenkins, Tim LaHaye's series, Left Behind. They admit, is, they admit, they admit, is, it is a fictitious accounts of the end times, including the alleged conversions written in the book by, but you know what? People say, well, it could have happened that way. Watch out for the could have happened that way. 
That's the evil one's foot in the door. It's possible. Really? Anything which stretches the bounds of the historical record that we have in the scripture is not to be given any spiritual credence whatsoever. The camel gets his whole body into the tent by the tent owner tolerating the camel's nose through the tent flaps. Who can forget all that hype years ago concerning the prayer of Jabez? Written by Wilkerson. There was the prayer of Jabez, and then they, he wrote a sequel, the prayer of Jabez for women, and then he wrote another sequel, the prayer of Jabez for teens. Now the prayer of Jabez is found in the Bible, 1 Chronicles 4, verse 9. But the extrapolations, the fanciful promises of great wealth and blessing which will come to you if you pray the prayer are not found in the book of the Bible. Certain subjects sell books. Think about it. Certain subjects sell books. But being on the New York Times bestseller list is not an endorsement for the truth. Since the world is opposed to the scriptures and anything the author of truth displays the Holy Spirit. So John puts it plainly saying this. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you if it does you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And that, brethren, is the essence of eternal life. By be discernings, judge things, not by their popularity, but by their allegiance to the teachings of Christ. Our, of the gospel account, the Bible is the rule for truth. Secondly, we learn that those anointed by the Spirit by the Spirit now, they still have a need to be warned. They'll need to be warned. Verse 26. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. Now that tells me that the Spirit's presence in our lives does not work magically to ward off error. We have to have some weaponry in hand to slay error wherever it is found. And the only offensive piece of weaponry in the Christian armor is described by Paul in Ephesians 6, verse 17, which says, Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, that's the Bible, and that's what you use. Jesus, in praying to his Father to protect the disciples from the evil one, said, they are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. There's the sword. John 17, verse 15 and following. In Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active. It's not a dead book, but it's living and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates 
even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Translation, the Bible will get under your skin to the seat and the root of sin because it is discerning truth in action. It'll get to you. And by the way, that's why people don't read the book. They don't want to be convicted. They don't want to be disturbed about their, about their sin. In his own defense against the erroneous lies of the evil one, in his wilderness temptation, Jesus thwarted the devil's lies time and time again with his knowledge of the scripture saying, it is written, it is written, it is written. And then he'd quote a scripture verse from the Old Testament. Perhaps you've run into people whose idea of the Spirit's anointing has more to do with internal, internal mystical impressions rather than the objectivity of the written scriptures. They speak as though they were Jeremiah or one of the other prophets when the scriptures were being given. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Write in a book all the words I have spoken to you. Jeremiah 30, verse 1 and 2. And people talk that way. Yet we know from Hebrews 1, verse 1, in the past, yes, Jeremiah's day and others, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and, yeah, in various ways. But, but, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, who he appointed heir over all things and through whom he made the universe. The prophets heard or saw God in visions and dreams and theophanies, appearances in human form, like the men that visited Abraham before the destruction of Sodom. But all of this was while the scriptures were being received. Jeremiah's book, which God told him to write, is the book of the Bible which bears his name and is a compilation of the revelations given to him by God, directly, personally, audibly. This is how Jeremiah knew what God wanted him to say or write down. And we have that book in our Bible. Now some think this still goes on today. Their idea of the Spirit's anointing is that God speaks to them directly, personally, maybe even audibly, and not necessarily through the words of the Bible. The Bible is okay for some, but these claim to have a direct connect with God that supersedes the Bible. The error in all of this is that even our Lord, when confronting the devil in his temptations, fought him off. How? With the truth of God as codified in the scriptures. Saying at each temptation, yeah, but it is written. It is written. And then he'd quote the Old Testament text. He didn't determine his course of action based upon some direct, uh, personal, audible voice from heaven. Father, tell me what to say, what to do. No, he went back to what's written in the book. And that shows us how reliable the scriptures are in defeating error. 
There are many professing Christians in our day whose idea of discovering the will of God for their life goes something like this. Well, I have prayed about this for some time now. And the Lord has shown me, or they'll say the Lord has told me, that this is what I'm supposed to do. What do we say to that? Prayer is always essential in ascertaining the will of God. No one would deny that. But some of the things people say that the Lord has told them to do, or at least has approved for them to do, include divorce, mm. entering into a risky business venture, Refusal to discipline their children because they were allegedly abused as a child themselves and so they won't bring themselves to use the discipline of God's word. Take a job in no man's land where there isn't a gospel preaching church in a hundred miles, but they prayed about it and God told them to do it. Really? Prayer or no, God never leads his people to say, do, or live out things which are contradictory or expressly opposed to the scriptures. Not ever. The Bible is the only, get it now, only objective source we have for truth. Every other avenue is subjective. Jesus said, God's word is truth, not your prayer is truth. We pray amiss at times. We pray selfishly, says James, to satisfy our own lusts. Chapter 4, verse 3 of James. We pray for things that are unholy. We pray for things that are inappropriate. We pray through a, a prayers that are affected by tunnel vision. We pray for things that generally are will, but not necessarily the will of God. So because you pray about something is no assurance that God has given you the green light to proceed. But that's how many Christians function. Now, how does John say it? He says it this way. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. Verse 26, trust the writings, brethren. The biblical authors have written it down, and they have written it down to keep us from error and from foolish and hurtful decisions. They have written under inspiration of the Spirit of God. Here's what the Spirit of God wants you to know about this, this, and this. Yes, pray. I can think of other, other things to pray for. Lord, give me a willing heart to obey your word. That'd be a great prayer. Lord, give me a direction to, to go from your word and then give me the faith to, to do it, to go, to apply your word and live it. It's a lot of mysticism in our day. Ooh, ooh, the Spirit. Is it the Holy Spirit or our own spirit? Number three, 
Those appointed by the Spirit are taught by the Spirit. Verse 27. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as this anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real and not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. Now let me warn about some wrong assumptions here. Some have read this verse and they have concluded, see, we don't need pastors. We don't need preachers of the Bible. We don't need Sunday school teachers. Seminaries are a waste of time. Christian books are passe. Because all we need is the Holy Spirit. Have you run into people like that? I have. Are you one of those people? I hope not. Many of the brethren groups are organized around no specific pastor, no specific teacher, but each Sunday the layman will stand up and they'll exhort the congregation one by one, and that's the spiritual teaching for the day. I remember Dr. Greer when he was alive said, yeah, it's a pulling of ignorance. He was right. Now, is this what John is saying here? Is he saying, fire your pastor, cancel all the Bible teachers, because if you have the Holy Spirit, you don't need them. Well, this cannot be true for the very reason that the Bible itself, everywhere, advocates teachers and teaching. So we use the Bible to interpret the Bible. The great commission Christ gave to his apostles and joined them to go to the nations and make disciples of the people. How were they to do that? He goes on to say, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Matthew 28, verse 20. Well, don't they have the Holy Spirit? Yeah, if they're believers, but they need to be taught. Paul lists the officers Christ has given to his church. In the church, God has appointed, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 28. The complementary text is Ephesians 4, 11 and following, which says of Jesus, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. For what end? To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Young Timothy was told by the Apostle Paul, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of the Scriptures, to preaching and teaching. Be diligent in these matters, Timothy. 1 Timothy 4 verse 13. In fact, teaching of others is so much commended in the scriptures that the writer of Hebrews rebukes his people for being lazy and indifferent to their responsibilities, saying, by this time, you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. Hebrews 5, verse 12. 
You've been sloughing off. You've been goofing off. All these scriptures and dozens more make it clear that God has given pastors and teachers and evangelists and so on to his church for the purpose of teaching people God's word. And that being the case, John cannot be saying to us here, well, forget about your earthly teachers because you have the anointing of the Holy Spirit and you don't need them anymore. Well, what then is his point? Just this. Now understand what his point is. Here it is. In the final analysis, no one can teach you anything of the spiritual realities of Christ except the Holy Spirit of God. That's what he's saying. I cannot teach you anything. The seminary professor cannot teach anything. The best of the best Bible conference speakers cannot teach you anything unless the Spirit discloses the truth to you. You see how incumbent it is to have the Spirit of God in your life. Now, we readily acknowledge this when it comes to to conversion, I or you may speak to the unsaved of the glorious truths of the gospel that God has sent his son Jesus into our sinful world to live in a perfect obedience to his law and to die for disobedience to the law for all who will repent of their sins and trust Jesus as their own security before God. But just because you or I say it, just because we teach it and promote the gospel is no assurance the hearer will believe it and obey. Jesus met with the same reaction at times when people walked away saying, this teaching of his is too hard to accept. John 6 verse 66, and off they went, deserting the teacher of teachers. Well, how did Jesus count for this unbelief? Was there something wrong with the teaching? Were his words, can I say it this way, were his words so mysterious as to be beyond human comprehension? Now, here was his answer as to why they walked away. The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. And yet there are some of you who do not believe. This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. These people walked away in unbelief because the Spirit did not bless Jesus' words of spirit and life with the enablement needed to repent and believe, which, by the way, is God's prerogative. Jesus taught, yes. Did he teach the truth? Always the truth. But the Spirit's anointing was absent. 
So off those people walked, and they didn't give Jesus a second look, and they perished in their sin. The sad commentary of this text is verse 66. From that time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Ooh, that is so scary to read that. This is too often the commentary of the Christians of our own day. Many are having troubles in their marriages. Tension between husbands and wives with unresolved conflicts. Families are plagued with unruly children, undisciplined and hell-bent on creating havoc through rebellion. Their extended families are at each other's throats, fighting over the care of their aged parents or covetous of the family's inheritance, scrapping and devouring one another for their share of the estate. Brother going against brother in the court system. Church is splitting over music or preaching style. I'm talking God's confessed people here. Where do the Christians turn for help? To the word of God. To the wisdom from on high. No, that's not where they go. They go to the secularists, psychologists. They go to the medical professional. They go to the judges the arbitrators of the world, to the courts and the judicial systems. Do you know that this is no less the disciples of Christ turning their back and no longer following Jesus than those in John 6 who walked away from Jesus that day? Hard pill to swallow, but it's the truth. There is an answer, brethren, from God for every ill, every trouble, every heartache that you are facing as a Christian. You may think you're, you are unique. You may think you need some expert advice and you're not convinced the Christian teachers can give it to you. But the Bible says no temptation, no trial has seized you except what is common to man. So you're not unique. And God is faithful. God is faithful. Let me read it again. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted or tried beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13. God is your answer to every spiritual and all a spiritual problem, and ultimately all problems revert to the spiritual. The secularists of our age have done a number on the Christian community, as the Gnostics did in John's day. They have convinced you that they have a superior insight to your problem, which the Bible cannot match. Come see us Gnostics. Come see us who know. We have a superior knowledge. They are wrong. And you are duped if you believe them. So may God's anointing show you the truth. May you believe and act upon the truth that you know and have been taught. May you remain in Christ. Verse 27. If you have the wisdom of Christ... 
You have it all. Now, am I saying, don't go to a doctor if you need surgery? No. Am I saying, oh, if you need financial help, don't go see a financial advisor? Not necessarily, but you may have fallen into so many bad habits that you need to be corrected. And the Word of God will correct you. And it does talk about things like health and financial problems and all of those things. You just need to find the right source for that. And the right source is not the world and the little baubles it holds out to you with one hand and their other hand full of pay up, pay up, pay up. Our Lord, we just pray that you will bless us with the truth of your word. What do we have that the world doesn't have? We have an anointing of the Holy One. We have the Holy Spirit with his book that he inspired, the Bible. The answers are there. Yes, we might have to do some digging to find them, but they're there. And if we live by the book, we can't go wrong. But the world comes along with its Gnostic ideas, its ideas that it is specially endowed with super knowledge. And if you really want to know, you'll come see us and learn from us. And yet much of that which is said is nothing more than human opinion with no fact to it. I pray that you will help us to be discerning. How we need discerning in our day. We don't think the Bible has an answer to our marital problems, discipline of children, business ventures, financial problems. We don't believe that because we don't read in the scriptures those texts of scripture which deal with those things. But they're there. The principles are there, inspired by the Spirit of God, to teach us these things. No one is more wise than God, even the neo-Gnostics who think they are. Help us as your people to trust you and to believe you and to trust the anointing that we have of the Holy Spirit, who will teach us all truth if we are recipients of it if we're not proud and arrogant and not wanting to make a point that we know as much as anybody else that was Eve's great sin it's our sin as well deliver us O Lord we pray Amen